Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Welcome to the 56th episode of the podcast. I am your host, your producer, Sarah Rachel Brown, and today's episode is sponsored by Halstead. If you follow the podcast, you've certainly heard of them before, but if not, allow me to enlighten you. Halstead's mission is to help small jewelry businesses be successful. They are proud to be a small family-owned business. They believe in the power of entrepreneurship and improving the lives of families in their communities. They are a resource for makers and focus on small business development. Their blog has a large archive of articles, including technique tutorials, business advice, marketing, photography, and more to help jewelers grow their business. They also created the Halstead Grant as a business development program for emerging artists. The application process is a thorough business planning experience. You have to be in your first five years of business to apply, and the deadline for applications is August 1st. To help with the intense application process or for any jewelry artist wanting to create a business plan, they created the toolkit. This interactive guide walks you through how to build a plan and links to all the resources you will need. Okay, so that is what they paid me to say, but I also can't say enough about how nurturing and supportive Halstead is to the greater jewelry community. It's inspiring to see a company create these valuable resources and provide them for free. And for those listening who are not jewelers, check out that toolkit anyways. I've dug through it. It can be utilized to help you create a business plan regardless of your medium. Link is in the description of the podcast and of course on our website. If you, listener, want to show your support of the podcast, there are many ways in which you can do that. For those wanting to give a one-time donation, there is a PayPal link on the website, but you can also sign up for a monthly donation through PayPal if, you know, that's more your speed. Another wonderful method for giving a monthly donation is becoming our patron through Patreon. With a subscription-style payment model, fans, aka patrons, pay their favorite creators, that's me, a monthly amount of their choice. You can sign up and learn more at patreon.com slash perceived value. Yeah, money is cool, but another very important way you can show your support is by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Your rating and reviews are how new listeners find us, potential sponsors, etc. It's free and just takes a moment of your time. Thank you. I am always excited to release an episode of the podcast, and each one definitely feels like an accomplishment. Even 56 episodes in, they kind of feel like I finish a new piece with each one. But I gotta say, today's episode is like that feeling, but on steroids. 
because today's guest has been on my interview wish list since, well, I started the podcast. In 1998, she founded her gallery, which has since established itself as one of the most prominent and groundbreaking design and jewelry galleries in the world. A leading figure in studio jewelry and one of my personal jewelry icons, Sienna Patty has lectured and presented artists and designers in major museums and exhibitions around the world and has contributed to creating a growing global interest in studio jewelry. Sienna is not an artist, but she is a creative who has devoted her career to making artists look good. So please welcome today's very special guest, Sienna Patty. Because I keep being like, I can do a day trip, right? Like drive up there, see the gallery and come back down. It's like something it's I've like contemplated four and a half doing. Hours. It would take you what, four and a half, five hours? Yeah. And then like see the gallery, eat and then turn around. Yeah. Go to Massachusetts. I think I'm going to, like, I think I'm going to do it. Uh, Especially because of Lola's new show. I was like, oh, this is the time. Lola's show? And then, I mean, in August, July, I haven't quite sorted out. I am doing a show with Mallory. So. Oh, you. No, she did talk about that. And. Um, yeah, I talked about doing like a. Getting a cabin or something, an Airbnb nearby. Um, so we could like see the show and have like a little weekend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like by then. Obviously, nobody does. I think things are opening up here. <clears throat> I mean, not everyone wears masks, but they're opening up in the sense that the things that make people come here in the summer will be happening. So the Tanglewood, which is the outdoor symphony, Jacob's Pillow, dance. So and the museums are open with, you know, pretty stringent rules. So I think that it's going to be pretty packed. It's going to be hard to find a place. You can sleep in Milan. Oh, we can sleep on. Yeah, I, I am down. I'll sleep on your lawn. You um, will not be the first person. <laughs> I've had really? yeah, multiple. Yeah, my first one of my first memories of an artist staying at my house was one of my first shows with Bob Evendorf. Do, do you know Bob? I do know Bob. Yeah. And waking up in the morning, he's like in his kimono drinking coffee in my apartment. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I think that's something I really miss from when I was in college radio or just like being younger and booking shows or hanging out at shows a lot is like the band staying with me a lot. Um, and it's kind similar. of, <laughs> it's a similar I mean, the kids vibe. Are like, you... Yeah. My kids are like, yeah. Oh, is that the one who I'll mention an artist and they're like, Oh, is that the one with the bugs? Or is that the one I did that Lego thing with? Like, you know, yeah. So, what a cool experience kids, for them. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Oh, hey, Sienna. It's really nice to see your face. It's been a while. Faces. I know the last time we spoke was at the beginning. The beginning. <clears throat> oh, my God. The beginning. Yeah, we did a FaceTime. I remember yeah. that. Wow, what a March. different time. Yeah. How you been? You look good. <clears throat> I showered today oh so nice. yeah so I'm feeling pretty I'm wearing a bra so <laughs> I put on a bra for you I literally Thanks. went into I, my room and I was like I, I put do one this. on for you too <laughs> literally you. I 
the other day, Leo, my husband walked into the room and I was putting my bra on. He's like, I didn't think you were working today. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to the grocery that. store and it's warm out, so I can't wear my coat. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, that's so good. Um, listeners, I'm sitting here with Sienna Patty, um, gallerist extraordinaire, uh, and as somebody who I've wanted, man, you've been on my list to interview basics, basically since the beginning of the podcast. Um, there was a art jewelry forum interview I did probably about a year into the podcast. I remember, um, and they were like, name your top like wish list of interviews. And you were definitely on there. And I was like, I know Sienna Patty's on the board of Art Jewelry Forum. Maybe she'll read this article and see this. <laughs> Plant the seed. Um, thank you for joining me. It's, it's super nice to be asked. Um, yeah. I don't know if I contribute. As, I mean, it's very different. To, I'm not mm-hmm. an artist. It's a different kind of conversation. Oh, well, yeah, but I also said creatives because I want like every kind of person doing it because I, the one thing about this too is with perceived value and intention is it to broaden people's idea of what working in the arts can be, right? Um, So I always use that metaphor of like the celebrated rock star, but there's like the guy on the side of the stage that literally gets a full-time salary to tune his guitars. I actually know somebody that has that job. Um, so there's like all different facets of it. I literally you know, feel like that's often my job. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the side stage tuning the guitars. I love it. Um, when well, you it's perceived me, value, right? It's perceived value. Yeah. So part of my job is to make sure that who's ever up on stage looks good and sounds great, right? I mean, wouldn't that be... That's what the guitar tuner is doing to some extent. So. Yes, exactly. Totally. You get me. Um, and it's funny when you texted me about, we were arranging the time for this, we were going to do this in person. And a part of me held out this past year because I so <laughs> badly wanted that experience of like getting to be, hang out with you at cocktails again. Um, but it was funny. We were supposed to do this interview on 420 in New York city last year. Yeah. And I, and I thought that we that were. was like a pretty special, special date to get to do it on too. Everything was just, the stars were aligning. So that was literally a year. I mean, that's actually a full year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't know when I'm going to get to see you face to face comfortably in person to do this. So I was like, why not just pull the bandaid? Um, but I'll take a rain (laughs) check for those cocktails in New York city. Just so you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm there. (laughs) Deal. (laughs) Dude, okay. You know what? 420 next year, we're having cocktails in New York City. All right? I'm on it. Making a pact. Absolutely. We did it. You heard it, people. Um, I, you know, it's (laughs) funny that you're like, I'm not an artist, but I, yes. So today I want to give insight to what your job entails. Um, I think people immediately think that your job is glamorous and, um, they see certain aspects of it, of like you in a perfectly white room with white gloves, like placing items around and just like throwing an opening reception party, et cetera. But, um, having just had a few experiences. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. You're like, no. Um, I think you saw me on the come down from like my biggest curatorial endeavor. (laughs) 
and like first one of me just being like completely demolished emotionally and physically afterwards. Um, so I got a taste of like the reality of it, which is like not that pretty a lot of times. Um, yeah, you're shaking your head like, oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but, forget before... this. I should be saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, before we I mean, get you there... work really hard. You... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? No, go on, go on. Okay. Before we get there though, um, I want to talk about how you got there because I find two things. <clears throat> how do people even start galleries? I always imagine like heiresses, <laughs> you know, because in history books, a lot of times, like, you know, the Isabella Gardner museum, you know, it's always these women who had a lot of money that started something or the Guggenheims. Um, so I really want to understand how you got your start with the gallery um, and what you were doing prior to the gallery that led you to that experience. Um, and also where you're from, because I don't know enough about you. <laughs> so let's start it. Let's start with Sienna. Where were you born? So <laughs> um, uh, I was born in a small town in Western Massachusetts not so far from where we are now. Um, I'm 45 is... years old. Yeah, so oh, I'm in we... Lenox, Mass. I'm in Lenox. Okay. So I was born in 1975, hmm. um, which sounds so incredibly old that when I have to scroll for my age online, I'm like, oh my God, I have to keep going, I'm going now. <laughs> um, uh, so I was born in a very small town and my parents were artists. So I grew up. Hmm. In the arts, around the arts, um, around feeling, going to museums, going to shows. The only time we ever went on vacation or actually the only time we ever went anywhere was because they had a show somewhere. So mm. um, I went to Palm Beach <clears throat> as a child. So when you talk about heiresses, I think I had a sense of what the other life was like, but that certainly wasn't my my world. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I always... What kind of Oh, sorry. Yeah. Didn't mean to. Nope. We're doing this remotely. It's always hard to like trigger that moment where I can step in and ask more questions. Um, but can I ask what kind of artists they were? Were they painters, sculptors? So my parents went to Pratt and studied industrial design. Um, okay. My father works. They still work. They work six, seven days a week. Um, uh, he has a studio space and um, he works in glass but not necessarily, I mean, initially kind of blown glass, small object, mm -hmm. and then um, now he's doing larger architectural work. Mm -hmm. And my mom is the, does some of the design work, consultant, runs the business. So I really think of them mm -hmm. as, you know, they're very much a unit in what they do. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of, in ter <laughs> I mean, yesterday I, I go and see my grandmother every Monday at 11 and mm -hmm. I said, my mother texted me and said, are you going to see grandma tomorrow? And I said, oh, if I can't. I'm doing this thing. I'm, I have an interview. And okay. now everyone knows it's Monday and it's before 11. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so can cut that out. <laughs> uh, it's like Saturday Night Live. Does it really happen at that time? Yeah, um, totally. So, and I said, oh, what's the podcast? And I said, oh, it's perceived value. And she was, she starts writing me like, well, isn't it all perceived value? You know, this whole thing. So I grew up having those kinds of conversations with my parents. Um, like the kinds of things that we talk about now and we think about mm -hmm. art, craft, design, all of this, that's, I grew up with that 
conversation. I mean, I also grew up in the woods. Yeah, at the kitchen table, but also, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I grew up in the woods. So I grew up basically, mother would just close the door and make me stay outside. And I would gather all my books and go sit and read somewhere (laughs) as opposed to running through the woods. Yeah. So, and then I, and then I, and I went to whatever high school and Mm -hmm. I was interested in theater direction, film direction. So I went to Tisch. I went to NYU. It's part of NYU. It's like the school of the arts at at NYU um, for film and theater. Yeah. Oh, Um, love that. Growing up. Yeah. Growing up, I was more, I was, I wanted to be Leo Castelli. Such a weird thing. I mean, it was because of my parents. Really? Oh Oh my my gosh. gosh. I'm sorry. Tell me. (laughs) So, I mean, you said it before, people that have galleries, you talk about Isabella Stewart Gardner and all of these things, uh, who's certainly on the radar right now, but. Oh, Castelli, like the Italian broad? That had the like pet leopards? Cause I don't know about that. No, I don't think so. No, because <laughs> wow. Po- I missed, okay, never. I missed that nerdy book. Yeah, no. Oh. Leo Castelli was a gallerist in New York, right? And so he's okay. pretty much credited with bringing together and supporting the careers of all of the pop artists in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. So you okay. could go to Castelli Gallery on whatever West Broadway and go there. But really, it was more kind of, I got very much into. Andy Warhol and mm-hmm. James Rosenquist and the pop artists. And I, as much as I love the artwork, I, I really like understanding how, um, like how does, it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, how do you make yeah. something have value? What does that mean? How do you make mm-hmm. an artist's career? And this is what a lot of those people were doing. Mary Boone, a lot of these gallerists in New York, and of course, at the time, New York was, is, was I mean, even more, still is, but so romanticized, you know, yeah, if you can definitely. make it here, you can make it anywhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of owning a gallery or working with artists is something that I've, has always been a part of what I have been interested in. I think yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty. when I look back, I can see that at the time, obviously, um, and I think about doing theater and film and working with actors and being a director. I mean, it's really not, I mean, maybe there's more money in that, but <laughs> it's still it's like super creative yeah. facilitation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of like helping cultivate a career for somebody and create this like perceived value of like what their life is. I mean, Warhol, right. the reason why I was so obsessed with him and was that the hype he created and this like culture around himself that in mm-hmm. turn sold his work. I love that. Um, did I mean, you graduate? So, it, oh, oh, no, sorry. I didn't graduate. No, how I didn't long graduate. Did you, how long did so you I, last in that program? <laughs> so no, I didn't last very long. At least I, I think what happened was I, it, you know, I went from high school to this program that was like eight to five every day. And it was the theater. It was the theater program. And I was, it was through yeah. Playwrights Horizons. So it was basically like you, you don't, you're not going to college, which most people would think of going to college as like, you know, you have your classes and your dorm room and you hang out with your friends and you go to parties. And I mean, yeah. I don't think I, and that, there aren't frat parties at NYU. I mean, if there are, I have no, I know nothing about them. Um, <laughs> don't know where those were. Yeah, no. So, but I went, but it was more like I went to New York, you know? So Can I, I was there for like questions. full on a year. 
Yeah, go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, first of all, um, you went to New York. What was this like in the eighties? Like late, late eighties, mid to late eighties? Oh my God, dude. Early nineties. How old do you think I am? No. So 93, I graduated high school in 93. So fall Mm -hmm. of 93. You're only 10 years older than me. I need to like do the math, girlfriend, (laughs) jump it up. I was born in 1985. This is very, this is the easy math in my head. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So fall of 93. Um, Still. And so what was your, so you wanted to get to New York. What were you into in New York? Were you like into the punk scene? Like what were you doing there when outside of school? I mean, the punk scene was like early nineties. Punk scene was not, um, what was I doing when I wasn't in school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> working. I mean, I loved working. I always loved working, yeah. working in restaurants, working in, I interned at different places. Um, mm. so once you work in a restaurant in New York, you know, there's like a whole, there's a whole scene involved in that. You meet people. That's how yeah. you make friends. You know, there's a benefit to like, to, to doing that. The other thing was when I went to, and I think, I think this is, was really, really hard, but also important, right? Mm-hmm. When I left my high school and I went into this program where at my high school, I was very good at what I did and I was very yeah. engaged in it. And suddenly I was in this program where everyone else was just like me, only like they kind of worked a little harder at it or they were a little <laughs> yeah. more talented or they wanted mm-hmm. it that much more. And so when you, I realized really quickly that like, I kind of just wasn't gonna do well. And once yeah. I realized I wasn't going to do well, I just gave up. And then I went to parties. <laughs> That's where that was going. I can relate but, to know, that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big fish in a little pond. I went to school for classical singing and I was like, oh my God, I'm never oh. getting into a conservatory. Bye. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that your skill, I don't know. I mean, I think all of those things have to come together. Skill, talent, working mm-hmm. hard, luck, all of that stuff you have to really want it. I mean, it's same as like, you know, also for being an artist, I mean, it's the same thing. And I don't, that was not what I wanted really quickly. I think that first day of sitting there, I was like, Oh shit. shit?" (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. It's a podcast. Don't say that. Don't tell me that I have a bad mouth. (laughs) No, free reign. (laughs) I was like, I was like, Oh shit. I just don't, this feels not right. Yeah. Um, So I was working in restaurants. I mean, I waited tables bus tables, ran food, um, yeah. work doors and clubs, you know, Any so the scene, honestly, I have to like think back because nothing's around anymore. So, you know, the clubs yeah. that were around there were like the limelight, the tunnel, NASA, like this is like, I mean, early tunnels made. mentioned on sex in the city guys. So exactly. there you go. I actually did an art fair in the tunnel like 10 years ago. And the whole time I'm like, I totally threw up in that bathroom. Like, oh like the space had changed, but the bath, but some of it was still the same. And I was like, this is, yeah. This kind is of felt like downhill. Here. Yeah. Um, we used to go to these underground parties, literally like either underground or, you know, you just knock on a door and you just end up at a party. I don't think that I, yeah, maybe it's still like that, but the rave scene, the club mm. kids scene, like that was like, I guess if there were scenes and that was what was happening right then, like a lot of the, um, and I talk about this with, because we think about gender and I think about the early nineties in New York, like there was so much shifting of gender and, and so mm-hmm. much of that club and rave scene was a, wasn't about that, but it was a part of it, right? Because you could come to I New York. Agree. And sort of, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think I follow a lot of like mm-hmm. kids that are like inspired by that club kid scene now. Right. And I see their fashion and their art and their kind of like homage to that time. And I am from Iowa. So I had no idea what that was until I moved over <laughs> here and started seeing more of that culture and like social yeah. media and whatever. It's fascinating. It's totally interesting. And now there's, you know, you can go and have those Instagram accounts where they have pictures from back then. And there's mm-hmm. um, some really great books, the club kids books. I think I, I should send you a link to this one. It's super great. Um, oh, please do. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I think when you're doing that stuff, you don't, I don't know, you don't think you're doing it. But for me, I, I was like, it was like my version of Andy Warhol's of the factory, you know, that's what I yeah. felt like. It was just so romanticizing something, but mm-hmm. uh, so I, and it's funny because I don't feel like I ever go growing up, up in a small town and going there. Like, I don't feel like I had a culture shock about being in New York. Um, really? You know, I, I don't remember that being the case and I don't know why actually, <laughs> I guess maybe growing up with artists. Somehow. Maybe. I mean, I have, I think a lot of people kind of ask me that too. When I moved to a big city or even the first time I went to New York, I don't know. I think some people are just like adapt to big cities and others are like really overwhelmed. And I am a concrete pavement kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> I was not concrete overwhelmed jungle. at all. I literally yeah. remember the day, like five minutes in where I was on a train on 28th street on the West side. I was, you know, on train underground and I thought, Oh, I know where I am. Right. Yeah. Like I literally know where I am in the city. And I loved mm-hmm. that feeling of like knowing how to navigate it and have ownership over it and being able to go in and out of New York. Now it's like, I, I wouldn't have that same experience had I not, you know, done that then. Um, yeah. I just, I so you dropped out. <laughs> so I dropped Living out. Your life in New well, York. How so, many? I, you know, so I, I stopped going. I don't know if that's okay. That's a better way to say that. True. <laughs> I stopped going. I stopped returning my library books. Um, <laughs> I didn't stop being interested in all of that stuff. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I took all, I took some classes in the summer. So this is like my first year, and then I took a sixty millimeter film class in the summer, and then kind of got into my second year, and I was like, I don't know. At the end of my second year. Um, I took like a term off. I think that's what it was. I took a term off and I went in and I mm-hmm. sat down and talked with the guy who ran the program. He was like, you seem like you're struggling with this. And I said, well, I just don't know if I like working with like people, <laughs> like, groups. <laughs> like groups of people. And he was like, yeah. well, that's what this is about. So you might want to reconsider. And I was like, yeah, so there you go. So it's not strange that I basically mm. work alone now. Um, yeah. You know, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's, it's a kind of, it's certainly control. Actually. I could have been a jeweler. <laughs> I relate to that so hard. I'm like, people are like, why don't you like hire somebody or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cause I like doing it all myself. Yeah. I like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually I have to say, as I've gotten older, it's less interesting, but learning new skills, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of things. And you were talking earlier about what it's like to have a gallery. It is so not fucking glamorous. It's unbelievably <laughs> not glamorous. Yeah. Anyone who's worked here can tell you, but also other places. I mean, um, every single thing we do, at least when I'm really putting up shows, it's like you never really can use the same skill twice, right? You just yeah. have to keep learning new stuff, um, which I think is a, it's fine. It's exhausting, yeah. but it's also like, I guess what makes it me continue doing it to some extent. So it can be tiring. 
How many years did you end up living in New York? I think like five years. Five years. I well, let me see. 17, 18, 19, 20. Four years. Five years. Yeah. So then I, I worked at the Met. Working at oh okay okay you worked at the oh. Met. Oh yeah. So then like officially. So I had an internship <laughs> at the Met. <laughs> um, How'd you get that through NYU? I don't even. Oh, I, Jane Adlin, who was the curator there at the time, my parents mm-hmm. knew her, and I wanted a job. I did. It was an unpaid internship. It was about a year. I would put on yeah. my rollerblades and like ride, dr- go. Up, we, you know, I don't know what it's like now, but we would go on the train where you had to pretend you didn't have your rollerblades on, so you just like walk like a total weirdo, like with your rollerblades yeah. on on the train, and then get out on 86th Street and go and and go up to the Met. Yeah. And it was during the, um, uh, Charles Rennie Macintosh show that they had. So you could literally like go back and find out when that was and it would date it. But, <laughs> um, that was what I did was I researched, I did research for that exhibition Cool in the library I mean, of the and- Met, which is like the coolest place in the face of the earth. I've never been in the library in the Met. I actually, the first time I ever went to the Met was the August before the pandemic. I know that sounds crazy. Are you- but true. No. Yeah. Really? Girl, I'm from Iowa. And every time I went to New York City, there was always like a reason I was there. And then it was just this one time where I was like, I'm just going to the Met. This is what I'm doing now. Because it always oh got like God. pushed aside because everybody yeah. else had always been there. And, you know, so it was like, Yeah, but it's not just like a one-stop shop, man. You know, you can get lost in those rooms. I mean, maybe now mm-hmm. we go to see the arm and arms and armor and we go do certain things, but there is so much. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, th- I think about the experiences of walking. Well, going into work. I mean, you work when you when you work there. You work on the mezzanine, but going through yeah. the Greek and Roman room every single day. Or again, like I think, I think it was New York. So it was like the adventures of of Mrs. Basil Lee Frankweiler. Do you know that book? No. Hmm. I, I can't. Like I you guys, I wish you could see these looks. I keep getting. Santa, we can do like a follow up. Will you just like be my like? This is a book about these mentor. two kids who run away. They live in like Scarsdale, New York, and they run away and they go to the Met, and they live okay. in the Met for like five days. And it. Well, it's you could totally pretty, do that. Well, it's a pretty famous book, and like they had to actually, I think they had to remove the bed that the kids slept in because people kept trying to sit on it or something. And they would, oh. they needed money, so they went into the fountains and like took all the money out. And it was, oh, I mean, there's like anyway, the Met. Yeah. So okay. as much as I like New York, when I decided I didn't like it anymore, leaving it was like was super easy. I was like, I'm done. I never thought I'd feel that way when I lived there originally. That's funny. So. I feel like I've talked to other people that, yeah, it just like one day just kind of clicks and you're like, okay, I've had it. We're done here. Yeah. And you're ready to move on. I kind of went hard, you know, for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, eh we're done here so in that time yeah. you're like work well, I should leave now it's more like I think I should leave now <laughs> like it's not like I'm ready to start a family yeah. yeah no it's more like mm, yeah that's amazing so your parents do this I mean they obviously supported you and helping you get that connection for the Met um yeah they sound like pretty amazing people were they just like yeah just like do what you got to do to figure things out kind of people oh uh Hmm. Hmm. Oh my God. You don't have to send them the link totally. to the podcast. Don't you can totally speak. Listen to this. Uh, 
You know, I mean, I want to feel like I've done everything on my own. I guess everybody wants to and like not have the older I get, the more I realize that like just having parents who are artists, how beneficial that was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're also perfectionists. So it wasn't like, oh, go out and explore the world. It was more like, do it your way and see how far you get. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. And you better bust your ass because that's the only way to make it in this world. You know, I mean, they're, they're, that's like definitely for sure. Like work hard, work hard. Did I mean, they help you financially a little bit? Well, yeah, but I, yeah. Did they help you financially with NYU? Was it like that kind of pressure? Totally. Literally. I remember coming home and being like, and I, we were doing some dance class at, and I, and I was doing the Chim Sham and the Charleston and my mom's like, Oh, a hundred thousand dollars later, she can do the Charleston, you know? Like, <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, I didn't have, I, yeah, totally. I didn't have school loans. I didn't okay. have school loans. Um, but then again, this was a long time ago. It's not that school yeah. wasn't expensive, but, um, but I also didn't, I really ultimately was like there for a year and a half, I think at the end of the day. So I may have had school loans had I continued, but I didn't have school loans. So I don't, yeah. I mean, most of my friends did. And most of my friends who went to a four-year college and completed school, like maybe just finished paying off. So we're in our mid forties. Yeah. They may, yeah. Maybe late thirties, they finished paying it off. Yeah. Um, but that's real. You know, my husband went to school and graduated a couple of years ago. So now we have all of his school loans. So it, you just, you can't avoid it. Yeah. They play you. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, where did you transition out of New York to? Like what made so, you want to leave? So, I mean, I don't even know if I totally remember all of this. I think it was like, I need to get out of New York. I didn't want to wait tables anymore. I didn't have any money. My parents weren't going to, mm-hmm. I mean, they never really gave me money. That wasn't a thing. So I moved, I was like, I'll go home and, oh, my, right. That's what it was. Here my, it is. The yep, house that my it. grandfather's parents had, <laughs> the <laughs> house that my grandparents had lived in was, uh, there was nobody living in it. It was a two apartment house in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, not so far from okay. here. And so my mom was like, you can come, you can live in the apartment. You can help me like do stuff, which now I'm yeah. like, as a parent, I'm like, oh, like she was just like, you need to, yeah, get your, She's helping time, get your you. shit together. Yeah, she was yeah. helping me. Um, I wouldn't have, of course, wanted to think that at the time, but yeah. Um, so that's what I did. So I moved back to Pittsfield, um, or no, I moved to Pittsfield. It was horrible. I was, it was, I was, I thought I was so cool, and uh, there I was, like. Mm-hmm. I don't know, back where I had started to some extent, or like, I didn't know what I wanted to be. It was stuff like a hard time. It was 20, That's a weird transition. 21, 22. Yeah. So I started working at, um, I needed to get a job. So I started working at Canyon Ranch, which is a local spa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked the front desk. So I had like a, <laughs> literally the opposite of what I had ever done. I worked from like six in the morning to two. And I had to wear this like, hmm floor length flowered dress every day like cap sleeves yeah the difference between like I mean I had gone from like having you know long red hair and and ponytails and a sports bra and like what do you call it like those little hot pants 
Like I went from like that. <laughs> yeah. I went from like that to like what I perceived to be this really conservative, like, and it was just, it was really awkward. It was, it was actually, it was horrible. It was probably the worst job I've ever had. Sorry, Canyon Ranch. But How long did me, you work really there? Was, Sorry, Canyon Ranch or whatever. Yeah. Six oh, months. Oh yeah. You didn't last I long. It didn't last much longer than that. No, no way. And I think mm-hmm. I made seven, seven bucks an hour. Yeah. No, seven fifty. Even in Pittsfield, that sounds like not a lot. No, no. Um, mm-hmm. And I had met this guy that I liked in New York and we were dating before I left and he would come and visit and then we'd break up and then he'd go back and then we'd break up. Eventually um, we got married and had children. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's his name? So that was it, you know, so like my, yeah. Pardon me. What's his name? I've met him. Leo. Yeah. Leo. Leonardo Quiles. Mm-hmm. Yes. And oh, um, good I was a waitress. I was a waitress and he was my busser. Oh, I thought you were going to say the dynamic was like, I was a waitress and he was like the super hot bartender. Nope. No, he was, he was like, busser. he was like the hot Puerto Rican bus boy. That was, <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't tell Leo, clear that. table seven. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like I, so I opened the gallery when I was young, I was 23 years old. And now I'm like, I have to transition from, from like just being a kind of a kid and or whatever, screwing around and not knowing who I wanted to be. But I was, you know, I was always very intense about everything, regardless of whether yeah. I knew what I, what it was. Um, so I just think now we, I don't know if the kids still do, but I feel like we try to, we think everything through so much. There's a way to do something Mm -hmm. or maybe social media affects this, but I don't think I thought of any of that shit. I just, I just did it. You know, you like figure out how to do it. I wrote a business plan and I went to this, like the business place and the woman was like, I had a store and it was horrible. You might want to rethink this, you know? And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I hate you. Like I didn't, so instead of being like, what I would do now is like, what is exactly does she mean? And just, is it viable? And all of this other stuff. I was like, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and that's age, I think. That's age and like risk. I mean, I have a certain amount of uh, a lack of risk aversion. Mm-hmm. There must be a better yeah. word for that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I may participate in risk behavior that. once in a while. <laughs> yeah I think risky behavior has gotten me all the cool shit in my life yeah like yeah I wouldn't be in Philly without my risky behavior yeah and I think yeah. I mean like for you you came from what is Iowa yeah Iowa that's way further than 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 where I came from so that's yeah. a that's a big big shift in life mm-hmm. um yeah Question. Got to clarify something. So, I mean, I do remember being in my twenties and being like, I'm going to start this or whatever. So it's like, you probably didn't have like a nest egg or a bunch of money saved up to start this. No. So, so basically I I was very lucky because the space that I'm in now is the same space that I'm sitting in right now is the same space that I started in sort of. Um, I have two spaces. I have two spaces right now and Mm -hmm. that are connected. And I had half of it when I first opened 
the building was just getting refinished and this young couple owned the restaurant and the building and they, my rent was like, you know, 800 bucks a month. So mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, relatively low cost um, in terms yeah. of like making it start. I got a loan from the bank oh. um, for $10,000. That's the only money that I ever got to do this with. And yeah. So from that outward, the gallery has supported itself. It hasn't always supported me, but it supported itself. And my boyfriend Mm -hmm. at the time um, had a job. And so we just lived off of his job, which he was a PA at a animation studio. Like, I don't remember how much it was. Now it seems like a lot of money because he happened to come in every week. Um, So, and it was just us. And we lived in this little apartment um, where my rent was like, I don't know, 700 bucks a month. And yeah we just worked our asses off. You know, I mean, we were, we painted mm-hmm. it, we put it in the floor, we did, I mean, everything, you just do it all yourself. So it, it didn't so cost, the, like you didn't have a website. Yeah. Yeah. I had letterhead. And you chose it's literally letterhead. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that thing where you're like starting a business and you're now the equivalent of that is like, I have an Instagram account, so it's real. And it's like, I have a yeah. letterhead. It is real. I mean, I got my first computer when I opened the gallery. So yeah. I opened the gallery in November of 98. I mean, I, I got, I got into, I signed my lease November of 98 and I was in the space and then I mm-hmm. had to get a computer. So we had like a gateway. Again, I feel like I'm dating <gasps> I myself. I dated one of the oh. gateway boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow, I am so happy to get to put this on the podcast. That's great. <laughs> no one knows about Gateway. It's from Sioux City, Iowa. Gateway Computer. Oh, I did not know that. It used to come in the big boxes with the cow on it. Like yes, the, the cow, print. cow print. And one of the oh. heirs, I mean, they had a fuck ton of money. He opened up the indie record shop and I would go in there all the time and flirt with oh, him. And eventually so I got to date him. Yeah. <laughs> you got to date him. He got to date you, Sarah. Please. True. Very true. <laughs> See, oh I just god. tuned your Sorry guitar. to sidetrack us. I'm so sorry to <laughs> sidetrack us. But I was like, oh my god. So you got a gateway computer. Mm-hmm. So I had a gateway computer with the yeah, and I just sat here from like November to whatever when I opened in May and like learned how to use the computer. <laughs> like <laughs> and and faxed people and oh, yeah. read books and um went to um tons of oh so well I mean I chose jewelry from the very beginning because nobody was really, yeah. So jewelry just seemed like something no one had ever done. So, okay. Rewind. First of all, were your parents like, why are you starting a gallery? Or were they like, yeah, totally do that. Oh my God. No, my mother and her friend, uh, Mm -hmm. Uta Stebek, who is uh, an amazing woman. She's a, she's fantastic. They took me out for lunch and they were like, we think you should start your gallery now. Cause like I had been thinking I wanted to start a gallery. Like in my head, I was working at a local, like a glass studio in West Stockbridge, not so far from here. And mm-hmm. I was running their gallery program, which is very, you know, I say it was a gallery program. Like that's what it maybe said on my resume at the time, but it was like, you know, not, um, yeah. it was a shop, but I was trying to bring in visiting artists. And I was, so I was like sort of starting to this. I did this for about a year. Same time I worked at Canyon ranch. So mm-hmm. I was starting to, move more from, I mean, I really think it happened quickly, move more from 
this idea that I had left something behind of what I wanted to be into, oh, I, th I think I want to do this. I think I want to start a yeah. gallery. And I started doing this there. So um, Uta had a space in this town in Lenox. And so she knew what was happening with buildings. And um, I guess my, I'm going to do a podcast just about her. She's so interesting. Um, <laughs> she had taken me to, she's so many, um, when I was very young, and then again, I think around that same time, she would go into like the, sort of the black markets in New York, you could go, these, they were over on the West side, they're underground mm -hmm. markets where you would have um, all of this amazing like uh, crafts and things that people had made or imported, just like dudes sitting around selling stuff on the floor in like old buildings. Yeah. Um, and because she was really connected to Haitian culture, she uh, was one of, I think, the foremost authorities on Haitian, contemporary Haitian artwork, and maybe pre-Columbian. Probably getting some of this wrong. But she, hmm. so I would go with this, we're talking an older white German woman, okay, who would take yeah. me into these underground places. <laughs> I mean, this my parents had awesome. Yeah, no, my parents yeah. also like, I mean, I say it was my parents, but they also had all of these amazing friends. Um, because if that exposed I, you I, to I that type of matters. culture. Yeah. And the reason mm -hmm. I think I was very lucky, I had nothing to do with who my parents' friends were or who my parents were, but it just goes to show you that all of the artists and makers and people out there in the world, like, yes, you're, you're making something and you're selling it and you're, you're mm -hmm. living off of that, but also you're creating, you're, you're changing the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because every person you touch every, I mean, even in my neighborhood, I have friends who have never been to a gallery before, never been interested in art. And the other night I was sitting outside the fire pit working on Lola's show while we were all, I mean, pandemic, but our little bubble, we're all outside hanging out, drinking beer. And I'm like selling jewelry. <laughs> Yeah. out in the yard and it's trying to explain and the woman a good friend of mine sitting next to me she was asking um how come that's ten thousand dollars like is it made of gold right you know the classic questions yeah. kind of oh yeah and there is it I am. gold yeah is it gold are there diamonds in it like how do you know how much it costs do you tell how much it costs do people return yeah. it like you know <laughs> and this is how this is how we change the world in these tiny little ways about art yeah. making yeah, you know yeah, yeah. anyway I, I went off topic but no yeah. I mean we're talking about Uta because I I think the thing for me that I wanted to grasp from my conversation from you so badly is like how did you decide to do this you know because there's it you don't just like wake up and you're like I'm gonna start a gallery it's but I think no. it's like more of a slow burn and like a collection of these interests and experiences that kind of add up and then maybe like you're like I'm just going to try. I it. also think I was a, I was, I mean, I said this earlier, I'm not an artist. Um, I'm not an artist, but there are so many people, including myself who are in incredibly creative. And what do you do with that? I mean, I wasn't going to use mm -hmm. that to make the world a better place in science. That wasn't what my interests were. No creative people, <laughs> yeah. obviously creative people obviously work in many different fields, mm -hmm. but um, I felt like I, again, some of this might be, like I'm writing a book about a kid from an older person's perspective because, you know, I, I might be adding stuff in here, but I think this idea of like being conduit, I understood both things, right? I understood yeah. or I, I sympathized with the maker because mm -hmm. I had grown up with this, but because I wasn't a maker, 
you know, I, I had this other thing. I had, you know, that, that transition between those, between those things. So I'm also very like autodidactic incredibly. So like not going to school, you know, I mean, I have these books, that's, that's how I learned yeah. to do this. You couldn't go online. Yeah. 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 There was no book I, on how to open a gallery because trust me, I tried to find that shit. Like, <laughs> where is that book? There's no handbook. <laughs> Um, I cut you off when you were transitioning to the conversation around like focusing on jewelry, which I do think is really interesting because your parents were in glass and I don't know, I feel like whenever I see like a piece of glass in a gallery, it's like so expensive and tends to sell. Seems like people don't question the value of glass, or at least in my experience, I've seen people not question the value of glass at all. And then like bargain with me over 60 bucks for a pair of sterling silver earrings. Yeah. So, I mean, you, that's like a whole other conversation. That's like a weeks long conversation. It's well, it's a whole other yeah. thing. I mean, yeah, of course. So market wise, I mean, you can go back and to look at like how, how the craft and the glass market burgeoned in the, you know, eighties and early nineties in this country specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could, but also we come to an understanding of jewelry. Jewelry has like, which is of course the best and worst thing about it is that everyone has a familiarity with it. So people are bringing, they're bringing their understanding of value to it in a way that you don't with glass. I mean, you look at a piece of glass, a piece of sculptural glass, and no one is relating it to the glass that they drink out of just because it's the same material. Right. No one is, I I don't know if that's the right analogy, but no, that just, I just took a deep breath because like, (gasps) yeah. Uh huh. But with jewelry, ketchup used to come in glass bottles. (laughs) Wow, you sound like you're older than me now. I don't remember. Okay, that. all yeah. right. <laughs> Maybe in Iowa, we want got plastic mm-hmm. here. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I but think we- that's market related. I mean, that's a whole. Again, mm-hmm. we're talking about my personal how I got to do this personally, but you know, talking yeah. about the jewelry market is a kind of a or this specific contemporary art jewelry market. Um, mm-hmm. It's something I, I was. I always like to play around with that idea also, you know, like, yeah, how do we value stuff? You know, if a young artist comes to me with their work, um, where do you place it? There was a time, you know, I think there was definitely certainly a time with jewelry where one of the things that I felt was really important was that we raised, we get the prices up, you know, that here were these amazing artists who were working in jewelry and there's no reason that their work should be less than that glass sculpture over there. You know, Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think jewelry is, it's, it's tough. I have very few artists where the work can really substantially sell for above. It's either intrinsic and manual labor value. Mm -hmm. So for those who are listening that, yes, yes, it does make sense. Um, but for, I want to pause for a moment. And for those who are listening, who are not contemporary art jewelers, cause I do have a lot of listeners and just in the greater craft field, um, Sienna, can you say the name of your gallery and then like give the elevator pitch and like describe it for the listeners? <laughs> so it mm-hmm. was called Sienna gallery when I first opened, but I switched it to Sienna Patty because I don't know why, um, it just sounded better. Sienna gallery sounded so cheesy to me from the beginning. Um, uh, so my gallery has shifted over the years, but I focus mm-hmm. on um, showing the work of artists who make jewelry. Um, that also means that some of those artists make, uh, some of those artists 
draw. Some of them work mm -hmm. with photography. Some of them work in object. I also work with artists whose work is about jewelry or about the body or about ornament. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I would have been able to define this when I first opened. It was very, mm -hmm. very incredibly important to me that I only did one thing when I first opened that I was like, I hmm. show jewelry. Um, because I felt that if I added anything else in, it would take away from how people looked at the jewelry. If I had a painting on the wall, people would change their understanding of the jewelry. Now, of course, I understand that that can be a good thing if it's used correctly, right? So over mm -hmm. the years, I've shown lots of different kinds of work. And I would say the only marrying characteristic is that they're usually technically perfect because I can't yeah. help that I like work that's well-made. I have much less interest in something that's not. Good on you. Um, <laughs> well, I've tried to be loose about, looser about that, but I'll tell you, yeah. that shit just gets returned because with jewelry, if someone has to put mm -hmm. it on their body, if it falls off, I mean, cool, you use tape. Cool. Yeah. It's very hard to sell something made of tape and string. And, and if my job is to sell, because my job is to sell, I have to live off of this gallery. I assume yeah. that many of my artists need to live off of the money they're making, though I would say the majority of them don't live off of their jewelry. They're living off of uh, teaching, probably, most yeah. of them. Um, so, but I really, I just want to like drive home that comment yeah. that you made, because that's something that I think about so much, especially in contemporary art jewelry is like, is it archival? <laughs> like, is it an heirloom? And my day job, I'm making pieces mm -hmm. of work that go on a finger and are worn every single day. You know, like that stuff has to be, the structural integrity has to be rock solid and nothing pisses me off more than spending $400 on a pair of earrings because I love the artist's work and I want to support them and I can't fucking wear it because it falls out of my ears or I'm too afraid to wear it because it might break. Like, so it, that's it needs to be a marriage right? of that. <laughs> yeah. I think it needs to be a marriage of that. And that's what I show in the gallery. That's come over mm -hmm. time for me to really truly understand that. And it's come also through my need to have things I can actually sell. Um, yeah. Now you can put piece, you can place pieces in museums, but you know, I would say even museums are, you know, it's funny, they'll question materials in a piece of jewelry and how, what, whether it can stay structurally sound over a certain amount of time, far more than they would question uh, materials in a piece of what they would consider to be contemporary art. So you had a, yeah. You know, because they just look at it differently. With jewelry, it's suddenly, well, you know, this is going to disintegrate over time. And, you know, part of me is like, oh, God, yes, of course, duh, that's the whole point. But I mean, I think it's also, I have to acknowledge, oh, what are you going to say? Mm. Mm -mm. I'm saying, well, and this is from my perspective of like, what is my intention with buying that piece, you know? And what is the intention yes. of the person making the work? And right. my intention is, functionality and I want to wear it on my body and not have to yeah. care about it. So sorry if you're making, you know, things that don't fall in that category. No, I think things that don't fall yeah. in that category are fantastic. I mean, in fact, that's mm -hmm. what I tend to like because yeah. I don't really wear jewelry very much. Um, mm -hmm. So I have, I don't need it to be wearable for me to own it, but 98% yeah. of the people who, who buy or who look at what we're selling need it to be 
wearable. I mean, it's very, it's really not often that someone, you put something on someone and they're like, oh, I look worse than I did before. I'll take it. I mean, who does that? You know, there's this thing, (laughs) you know, there's this thing with jewelry that like it has to, for someone to want to own it, 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 it gives them something. You know, yeah. am I making sense? It has to give them something, yes. whether it's beauty or um, a certain, I mean, a certain feeling, it puts them in a certain, you know, it, it looks a certain way, but it, it has to, it has to, it's sort of like the active part of it. It has to go on the body and, and do something. Yeah. It has to enhance the them kind of in some that, way or make them feel a certain yeah. way. Yeah. Certainly the kind of things that, that, that we're talking about. I mean, again, I work with artists whose work is not about that and that's, um, but when it comes down to the jewelry, jewelry part of it, um, but mm-hmm. I'm also not, I have no interest in sitting around selling gold studs. Like that's like literally the last thing I, I have known nothing about diamonds. Yeah. Every time something comes in with this, st- I mean, I have, you know, I've had this book since I opened. Gemstones of the world. You guys, Gemstones I'm going to paint a world. picture for you. I'm looking at Sienna <laughs> through my screen and she's just, there's just a wall of books behind her. And then she just like pivots and grabs her gemstone book. Are you sitting at your desk? Is this your, like your working yeah. desk where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of it them. It's really nice there. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of like, books, but this is like, I look, I look up a book and I'm like, oh, okay. What's crystal, ba- crystal barrel, right? Which is one actually a perfect example. So then I read mm-hmm. a little bit about it and that's how I know what the fucking crystal barrel is. I mean, there you are. What other books are right here? History of jewelry, Cartier, um, quotes by artists, okay. you know. Oh, there you are. Oh, can, I just want to come up there and look through your books. This one is "Art is the Highest Form of Hope." Oh, that's nice. Have it's, you read the whole book, or do you just like reference it? The whole. Oh, book. I never read like the whole book. Yeah, no. Okay, great. Like a whole, a whole book the of these same things. Way. No, I mean, honestly, okay. even when I had children and they, you know, you get all these books about, you know, how to do, I would read like the back and then the first couple of pages and be like, oh, I got it. Like, yep. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Cause I do that too. And I'm like, mm, I'm not going to read this whole Glenn Adamson book. Like I tried because I want, I had an interview scheduled with him and I was like, I'm going to read this whole Glenn Adamson book. And then I still haven't done it. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen for me. But yeah. I appreciate him. I mean, there are people mm-hmm. who do. Uh, there, are, you oh, know, yeah. I think about many people you and I both have in common who who are academics and like they get off on that stuff. I need it as a reference, mm-hmm. and I'm a yeah. super fast reader, so <laughs> I can go back through something and kind of get it. That's my special skill, yeah. actually. I think is reading, but yeah, um, it's my, my secret, my special skill. It's Your not hiking skill or something like that. Oh God, can we, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I. <laughs> so this is all over the place, you... Sarah. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Are you kidding me? This is exactly what I want from this. Okay. It feels like we're just okay. like hanging out talking, which is what okay. we're doing. When you yeah. first opened, um, mm. paint a picture for me because I feel like in Lennox, it sounds kind of touristy. Is that correct? It is. Was it touristy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's then touristy you... and second homeowners, I would say second homeowners. So people come up for the whole summer. It's not just like, it's not often like just a weekend. Oh, you're like Maine. I, I enter or what is it called? Not interviewed. Oh my God. Internshipped. <laughs> I was an intern. Oh my God. At a gallery in Maine for three months. And so I got that, I got that understanding. I was like, yeah. Oh, you only live here. 
for three months? Oh, yeah. okay. I mean, I have people um, who come in and they're like, they're like, so um, are you here year round? <laughs> I mean, I feel, I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, I live here. And they're like, well, what do you do? I'm like, you know, live here, I guess. Live my I don't life. Think- <laughs> you can go other places too. You don't have to stay here year round. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this, so this is the Berkshires. This is Mass Mocha, Williams yeah. College Museum, the Clark Art Institute with the famous Tato Alando building, Jacob's Pillow, Tango and Music okay. Festival, Shakespeare and Company. Like people come here for... It's like the, you know, if the Hamptons has a, has an ocean, you know, yeah. we have culture. You could make the argument okay. the Hampton also has culture, but we don't have an ocean. So you don't come here unless you like <laughs> being outdoors and you want some culture. Yeah. yeah. I've been hearing more and more about this Berkshires area and that I need to get up there and see Mass Mocha and all that kind of stuff. And that's on my mm-hmm. list to do. Definitely. Um, so then I imagined when you first opened, you don't just like open and then you're like, Melanie Blinker's work. Hello. Like, did you start with like local artists? Like, how did you build up to get your roster of what you have now? Because I would say, and Sienna, I'm going to say it, that I think you are one of the, I mean, Santa Patty Gallery is one of the top contemporary art jewelry galleries in the world right? Like there's like a handful. There's not that many. Of course. Yeah. Uh Yeah. (laughs) But, but like, Um, even regardless, I would hope so, Sarah, I've worked my ass off. It better be one of the best (laughs) ones. Yeah, you are. Seriously. Yeah. That's, I'll take that. Yeah, Um, you really are. So when I opened the gallery, I went to like the Philadelphia craft show. I went to all of the craft shows and I looked at all Mm -hmm. the books and I, I went to sofa and I uh, sculpture object functional art fair for those who may or may not know. And um, I just started being, I had business cards that I had printed, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't order them online. We went and got, went and got them printed. And um, I remember my parents being like, you have to have a nice business card. It has to feel really good. Like all of that stuff. It was like that, whatever yeah. that, there's that movie where the guy's like all about the feel of his business card. Um, and I'll be like, hi, I'm Sienna Patty, and I'm opening up a gallery, and it's going to be focused on jewelry, and can I maybe have some of your work? You know, I just went for it. I So mm-hmm. I did a couple things. Um, there was a woman I knew, Judy Bloomfield, mm-hmm. um, who had some of my dad's work. So I didn't go into a cold turkey because of my yeah. parents being in glass. Like, I could find a collector who collect. I could, you know, it was, like, not so obscure to me. To go into yeah, this world. You understood the concept of a collector and what Sofa was. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, Judy Bloomfield was amazing. She showed me her entire collection in her apartment mm-hmm. in the city. I think, or my God, it's funny. It was so long ago. At that fall, that November of 98, I think, Sofa, she invited me to an art jewelry forum meeting. So in retrospect, oh, that wow. was like one of maybe... Maybe it was that. Maybe it was the following year that I did that. Even, um, and and AJF was really different then than it mm-hmm. is now. It was really primarily just collector based. I mean, the whole system was very different then because collectors yeah. drove the craft market because um, they could afford to. <laughs> well, because um, they buy stuff. So, so, (laughs) I mean, they drove it in the sense of like, you know, you have these amazing people who for varying reasons, I think, um, uh, came to craft and wanted to have ownership over it, but, um, they would find an artist they like, they'd meet the person, they'd maybe 
meet the gallery. Maybe the person didn't have a gallery. And then they would show mm -hmm. the artist and the works of the artist to all of their friends. And then everyone else would want one. I mean, it's very much yeah. like a sort of an indie. <laughs> it has that kind of a background that the craft market, I mean, it's, it's actually it's incredibly interesting. It doesn't, we don't get into craftivism and even all of this academic talk. I mean, nobody really talks mm -hmm. about the marketplace of how that all, that all sort of happened. And I think it's, it's totally changed. It's yeah. really, really shifted. Um, but so, I, so, so Judy showed me all of her work. I mean, she had some incredible pieces. She was a big collector at the time buying a lot of work. So I got to see things I had actually only ever seen in, um, I had only ever seen in books. Susan Grant Lewin had um, this book. She's grabbing another book, y'all. Yeah, Susan Grant Lewin, One of a Kind, American Art Jewelry Today. It was one of the only mm -hmm. books that was out at the time. Um, and Judy Bloomfield connected me with Sharon Cranson. Um, oh, yeah. Who has, I mean, I think, Sharon and Ellen Rebin, also who owns Jewelers Work, they were both around way before I started impeccable eyes. Sharon has an impeccable eye and an incredibly, you know, his background with jewelry is from way, you know, long time. He started out as a jeweler. And mm -hmm. um, so he deals with jewelry and books. And um, I went over to his apartment and I was like 20, whatever. And I just sat there. And I mean, I think in retrospect, I would have been one scared of him because he's like yeah. intense and um, embarrassed. <laughs> I think back and I'm like, I'm going to open a jewelry gallery. Can I go see all Naivete of Naivete is a hell of a thing. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, but what's yeah. amazing is I probably looked so young and naive. And I mean, as someone who's going to open a gallery, you don't really go to your competition and be like, or not competition. I mean, competition, I guess. And kind like, of, can I see yeah. what you're doing? Like who does, like you can't, you just wouldn't, I wouldn't do that now at all. But Sharon yeah, but was you incredible. Did. Sharon was incredible. He I mean, so yes, it's a little bit me being a risk taker and naive. And then also yeah. a risk taker naive. And then also being like, what's the worst thing that can happen? They say, you know, you can't do it, I guess. But he showed yeah. me everything he had. I got to touch stuff. He taught me about artists. He gave me books. I mean, he was incredible. I would say he was really the first person who I really considered a mentor in what I was doing. Um, and we're and very, very different was people. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I have so many questions about that because like, I know sure I first saw Sharon's gallery or collection of works at a sofa. The first time I went to a sofa and I was like, he's a oh, dealer. He's a private dealer. Yeah. So, so it's he in goes to house. shows like sofa. It's in his apartment. Yeah. Cool. But so is you that just like, go in, he has appointment like a flat file? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I believe it still is. Yeah. yeah. And then he does fairs and stuff. And for me, I wanted it. So, so then this is how I maybe set up this difference and why jewelry was so interesting for me was I didn't think anyone was showing jewelry like it was art. Okay. So on a really basic level, mm. this is what I wanted to do was I'm going to take jewelry, but I'm going to present it like it's art. So there's so many things wrong with that sentence. We could argue like in every theory class ever, everywhere, yeah. but it was very basic for me at the time. It was like, I'm going to take this thing that people really don't think of as art, but I'm going to put one piece on a pedestal and I'm going to talk about it and relate it to the larger art world mm -hmm. so that people, so that I change people's perception into them understanding that it is actually a piece of art. 
Okay. Yeah. That was my premise when I first opened. I think I, I think that I've become, I mean, I don't want to lose my naivete or anything, (laughs) but (laughs) I think maybe recently I blame it on Instagram, but I think I've lost, I think the marketplace for everybody forces you to shift over time. So yeah. Some of the, the parts of me that have, oh, it almost makes me want to cry. I mean, the parts of me that like just so young and wanting to just do that thing and um, engage people in that conversation, you know, not, I don't do that as much as I once did because I'm stressed yeah. about money or the artist doesn't perceive their work to be that way or their work isn't that way or I don't have the space or there's too many people in here or I don't even know, like a million different things. Yeah. It's like a loss of a religion for me. You know, yeah. the, the loss of that, like, very basic purity. I mean, like, honestly, it gets me upset. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. But but you had to adapt. I mean, it was pushed, like, financially, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's financial. Now, I would say more than most people in places, I think I've stuck to that. Um, yeah. And it might be that only I see that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah. And also wanting to do a good job. So what is a good job Mm. when you're doing what I do? Well, it's usually selling. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm doing my job well, then I'm selling something. And this artist is able to support themselves off of those pieces they're giving you. Right. So the artist gives me something Mm -hmm. and my main job is to sell it. It's not to just like sit and talk about it or to make people like it. It's to actually sell it to someone. Mm -hmm. And while I've always known that I've always like deny it. (laughs) I I even deny it to myself because in some way I have this purity of like, no, my job is to, I don't know, show passion. And be like, that's, that's not the same thing, (laughs) you know, but by doing that in a way you're creating this, like, like when I walked into your show at New York City Jewelry Week, where it was that corner space that I walked into this corner space and it was like bold colors on each wall and like each area of the room felt like almost like a different experience in the way that you had those like Marta Matson wings on the rope, like hung so elegantly. I had no money to spend. And I told myself when I walked into that room, I was not buying anything and I <laughs> bought one. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's a little bit, you didn't sell me on it. You didn't have to, you just, the way that you created this experience in there made me use part of my rent money to buy that brooch. Oh gosh. <laughs> now I feel, I feel a little bad now. <laughs> no, well, no. That, that I is, wear so, that thing so much. Yeah. Okay, and it's one of my okay. most coveted objects. You yeah. created that. So that's me. my job. That's my job is to take, is, it's, it's kind of like you just, you, I think the shift is, is taking something, you know, an object comes to me and my job is to make sure that people can see, can see it the way I want them to see it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, not everything has to, has to be that way, but I mean, you can get I think something else. Thought. You move these thing over here and you perceive it one way, you move it over here and you perceive it another way. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I want to just like, and acknowledge the fact that, you know, you've had a gallery 20 plus whatever years. 
uh, 25 years. How long have you oh, had the gallery? 23, 22, 22, 22 23. Um, there's a level of it too, that inherently you just have to have good taste. And I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Let's be real. Um, and over, I mean, and over time that happens, right? I mean, the more you, knowledge yeah. you have, like yeah. I would, that's why people like, see... Ellen... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I'd love to see like a Sienna Patty archive, like your very first show <laughs> to now, because there has to be growth there. And I'm sure in the beginning it was like, ah, you know, you got to make some flounders and whatever. well, what's so funny is I wouldn't say my first show, but definitely the work that I had. And the way I presented yeah. it was different than it is now. Um, and there's been, I've had a couple shows where I'm like, fuck, that shit's so hot. Like that's on, right? We just, we mm -hmm. nailed it. And I just threw a diamond earring across the table while I was doing that. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, um, oops. Um, and then we, I've had shows where I'm like, oh, I mean, just, this, this is not, this is not working at all. Yeah. I think, Having taste, I mean, you develop this, you develop this over time. I've also put up, I mean, if you think I maybe have put up six to eight, six to 10 shows a year for 20 years plus yeah. fairs, I mean, mm -hmm. you don't do something 300 times and I mean, what are you supposed to Not do? Play a very violin for 10,000 hours or so? It's I mean, a 10,000 hours rule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've done this for like a hundred million hours. That's what yeah. it looks like. <laughs> you know, I, when, um, when I collaborated with a thousand facets and JB Jones for, um, lonely hearts club, I couldn't execute it in a way I wanted. Cause we didn't have the budget or whatever. So I was like, let's just go kitsch. Let's just like, we were like, let's make it look like a prom. Let's go on in with the balloons. Let's create like a hype and like distractions from the fact that this shit is sitting on paper on folding tables. Um, when I think of you, I think of your, your displays, you've, I feel like you've seen it all like creating ways to display work. It just boggles my mind. Like there, my creative flow in that is just like, I got, I feel like I got nothing most of the time. Um, how do you keep that going? I think it, honestly, literally, I feel like it's just problem solving. I mean, what you just explained Sarah of, okay. Cause I went and saw that show. Right. So the space, I mean, you work with what you have and mm -hmm. you could not, you know, what it would have taken for you to turn that space into some fancy ritzy, like we have a hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry in here space. It wasn't possible. Yeah, so no, that's fantastic. Yeah, but that's totally fine. That's totally fantastic. There you are. That's, those are the parameters that you have to work in. So mm -hmm. all that that's done is, is given you some, some like rules, which just allows mm -hmm. you to fuck with them. A little bit and I feel like a gallery can be the same thing so we've done things where and I and lately less so pandemic uh, mm -hmm. yeah of course where we've painted all the I mean I can't even imagine if I started to chip away the paint on the walls in the other room where I, the one where I first opened the, there must be like 50 layers I mean I've done think about the ways I've shown Melanie's work or Lola's work or Jamie's work or you know, the one where we, I went and bought like, you know, $150 worth of grass, whatever, fake grass turf stuff and yeah, filled the whole turf turf the room or... green. And yeah, so Ruta Reifen's exhibition, and then we painted the walls hot pink. I mean, poor Claire Fine, and she, she worked for me, and that was her job that summer was to paint the walls. <laughs> I have pictures of her at Home Depot picking up the turf. I mean, 
because that's what the work needed for people. I mean, that's what we wanted the work to have so that people could look at it. Yeah. We could force people into experiencing it a certain way. I think that I get tired of it. I think, um, you know, I have to be somewhat inspired by it. I do not get the work in time often to be able to have a plan. Well, this, mm -hmm. this gets into me being bitchy a little bit, but yeah, you know, no, I but this know is what, what we want on perceived value. Give us those details. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, I really need a sense of what it is before I can do something with it. So if I don't get yeah, the work until three days before, I mean, now I have to take images. I have to put them on Instagram. I have to put them on Facebook. I have to put them on the website. I have to put them on Artsy. I have to put them on my shop. I have to take the images myself here. We have to Photoshop yeah. them. We have to take pictures of them on the body. Then I have to make sure that the artist approves of all of them because what happens is I put everything up and then I get like, a, oh, I don't like this, you know? And uh, so, yeah. because now everyone can see everything all the time. So there's just yeah. that much more to, and I, and often it's, it's an cute, artist cute. who's, yeah. And I really care what my artists think. Sometimes yeah, I think over the years, sometimes to the point of maybe not making great choices in terms of, um, selling, you know, cause I'll be like, okay, I won't, mm -hmm. keep, let's keep the prices like that. Even though I know in my, I know, or I even suggest, I think we need to shift these prices. And ultimately I'm just not the kind of person who's going to say, well, if you're not going to do that, I can't show the work. I don't do that. Yeah. You bend um, to the I, I think, a little, maybe too much sometimes. Sometimes. I, I like to think of it as like collaborating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, because respectfully it's the work someone made and they care about it. And I totally get that. But often yeah. it, that is at odds with the marketplace. And that's, again, this mm -hmm. comes back to this place of like, I'm a little bit of a softy when it comes to that stuff. So, yep, um, but you're supposed to sell in. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, have some, like, just, yeah, go. Sorry. <laughs> no, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? I was just going to say this work like Melanie's Melanie Belenker, where you, you don't yeah. just, um, you know, you don't put it in a room with AstroTurf and I mean, I guess you could, but it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. So getting back its... to that. Yeah. How do you like create these displays? Yeah. yeah. My first exhibition um, was, was Bob Ebendorf's. Your first exhibition was a Bob Ebendorf. Yeah. Okay. So you did jump in. I, I yep. imagined I was like, did she grow from like, no, I went kind of having right like away. six artists with their like collections out. No, you went like gallery no, vibe like, right away. I was like from the very, very beginning. Um, mm -hmm. I was never, yeah, no way. Not at all. From the very beginning, I was like, I'm going to show people who make work and consider it to be art. So Bob Evendorf, someone, I think maybe Judy had connected me with him. Um, he was up for it. His work was fantastic. He was doing these squirrel. I don't know if you've ever seen that body work. They were squirrel paws, um, like like roadkill, basically, pendants yeah. and stuff. And so and they were really beautiful. They embodied like so much about, you know, how we think about jewelry, how we think about the history of jewelry, why we wear things, you know, very much, you know, coming out of Bob's background and, and using, um, you know, different kinds of materials from all sorts of places. And I had the exhibition up on the wall and there was like squirrel paws with little pearls and crab shells. And I mean, the first thing I ever sold was a pearl necklace. Like a, not even good pearls, just like meh. And yeah. I thought, and it wasn't his, it was something I had in the gallery. Cause I had maybe like 15 different artists, but mostly okay. like Bob, but, but someone, I had yeah. some reason I had a pearl necklace, little, little pearl thing. That was the first thing I sold. And I was like, oh, fuck. 
like, this is never going to work if I'm just going to, I mean, you know, and here yeah. I am trying to sell, but, but also it's so stupid because there I am trying to sell $3,000 necklace made of roadkill. Like who? <laughs> so I went yeah. into it thinking that I was going to sell that necklace. And I have to say, I swear to God, I go into every single show thinking I'm going to sell every single piece in it. That's kind of not every single show. You have to it's have ninety percent right? of my shows. <laughs> I think yeah. so. Um, I, I, I want to ask some like, well, yeah, I want to ask some nitty gritty questions. Okay, so when you take on a, when you first, you know, you first approach those artists, you obviously knew like, I need a contract with them, and when you sell a piece, like galleries it's typically like a 60 40 or 50 50 or etc like were you intimidated by that process in the beginning like being like let like how did you approach that did you have contracts right away like even with Bob I don't even know why would I be intimidated I don't know what you mean I mean (laughs) I mean there's like the legalese of it yeah like I think it's kind of an intimidating I was scared shitless for Lonely Hearts Club being like approaching people and being like, can we show this piece? And like, we sold a piece to a collector from England and I was like shaking while I was doing it. I felt it was intimidating, but maybe you weren't intimidated. I don't know. I think maybe that's because I just, maybe I guess if I had known to be intimidated, I wouldn't say intimidated. I mean, I've sold some really expensive stuff and then I get so excited that I am shaking. Like while I'm navigating the purchase, that's more Mm -hmm. like, I'm just so excited. Um, Yeah. Or if I've sold things that I thought I would never sell and I'm just like so happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't feel like intimidated. I mean, that's you maybe because I, the wrong you just had, I don't know. Intimidated makes me, well, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Well, mm. I think maybe nervous about whether you're doing the process right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I had contracts, I think. I think when I first opened, I must've had contracts and, um, I don't, I think I had a, Oh yeah, wait, I have, they have like an art law book. You could buy them in two copies. And I think I must've pulled mm-hmm. a contract out of there. That's what it had to be. Yeah. Um, I don't actually have contracts with people. Um, that's interesting. I've heard that from another person that works with a pretty prominent gallery and you have like long relationships, like with, Melanie Blinker how long have you had her was she so I've shown Melanie's work since I think 2004 she won I did this emerging artist thing um so again I was older than Melanie but before this yeah she was one of the first people I had who was younger than me I think when I first started working with her everyone else was Mm -hmm. a lot older so some of them were the ones who were like do you you know (laughs) I had so Mm -hmm. many artists I think Barbara Seidnath Noam Elias Shiv uh, Jamie Bennett. I think about those people as people who were like, really helped me along. I mean, everyone was very excited mm-hmm. for there to be another jewelry gallery in the world. And so everyone yeah. really helped make that happen. Like, I remember Johan Van Aswegen giving me this long lecture on like how to send back enamel works. I mean, I didn't know. Like, oh, if they bang yeah. against each other, they'll break. Like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Thanks for the hot I remember tip. once I threw out I, you know, now we have this rule, like you have to take every single piece of tissue and flatten it out when someone sends something because they send something in so many different ways. But I yes. have like had to dumpster dive for, I can't even tell you, I threw out a piece of Jamie, Jamie's once 
I had to go out into the dumpster that I shared with two restaurants and get into the dumpster to find this brooch because I threw it out in a piece of tissue by mistake. So that's real. Yeah. I don't even know that was a major segue, but in terms of intimidating with mm-hmm. the legalese and stuff, um, look, I don't have, there have been recent times where I thought, okay, I need, I need some kind of a, um, document that says, cause you get into some sticky situations, right? Yeah. It says what okay. we're going to do. I mean, often I find if, if the artist and I are communicating in advance of the event problem communication whatever it is it's very easy to work out the problem is of course after the fact um oh i sold this thing should i give you a percentage right i mean you can yeah all my artists are living i mean we get into these conversations quite a bit um i like to think of myself as relatively full service so there's artists like Mm -hmm. melanie where i mean for the most part I, i try to do everything but make the work you know, so yeah. I handle, I try to handle like, ex- though it's funny because she's been very good about giving me some nudges when I need them to, I forget, but sending mm-hmm. stuff overseas for exhibitions, I pay for, you know, if something needs to get shipped and someone else isn't pay- paying for it. Like you needed, I think, you know, if you need pieces for a show that you were curating and my, and I had the work here and you were going to yeah. pull it from what I have, like I pay for that to come to you. I don't need you to pay for it unless that was part of what you were business agreement was, but I don't go and ask yeah. the artist to pay for it right now. That's not in a contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of how I, how I work. I pay every 30 days, sometimes earlier, if someone's like freaking out about money, or if I know that yeah. I'm not going to get a return sometimes later when it's really, really slow or I fuck up because I fuck up sometimes. Yeah. So like I forget my inventory is off or it's January and I just can't drag my ass to like do paperwork um yeah you know um but that was like always driven really hard home for me with my parents was like you have to pay your artists first right yeah so before you pay your credit card before you pay your rent like you have to make sure because that money comes in and I do 50 50 um if I sell something to Sarah Rachel Brown and because I know Mm -hmm. her and she's so awesome and I give her a 10 percent consideration because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not a discount. I hate that word. Then oh, I like I mean, that we're consideration. At, yeah, we're not at Target. You know, the yeah. work is still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I give you that ten percent off, I absorb that, not my artists. Yeah. If I sell something to a museum, it sometimes is more than that. If I sell, say I'm gonna say Sarah, you say to me, well, I'm not gonna buy that unless you give me fifteen percent off. I might call up. Um, Melanie and say, Sarah's being a total bitch and she wants 15% off. Will you absorb, <laughs> like, will you split the extra five with me? Yeah. And Melanie, and Melanie will say, yeah, sure. I'll do that. But I'm not going to give you 15% off unless I've spoken to Melanie. Right. So this is kind of yeah. like, this is my, I'm, I'm telling you my contract, but look, wow. people, I rem- I gave Lola a contract um, years ago. I had a moment where I freaked out and I made, I wanted everyone to sign them. Yeah. And she just, it's so funny. Like I haven't talked to her. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this to her lately, but she, yeah, she totally called me up and was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you would send me that. Like, what do you think? <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> no, it wasn't even, no, because look, we are friends, but business is business. Yeah. I mean, we can't be friends if I'm not doing my job and she's not doing her job. Right. But she was kind yeah. of like, why would you think like, you know, I'm going to, you know, 
we're going to be 80 years old. I'm not going to sign the contract with you. We're going to have to do this forever anyway. So why would I sign a contract with you? Right. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like, and honestly, if it's, if it's not working, then what good is a contract? You know, it's a good point. It's that thing of like being in college. If you don't want to be there and you don't have the urge to make it happen, then like, doesn't matter if you don't go, it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, you can still run into really, really, really big problems. I mean, I have ha- yeah. I had a specific incident where I went to a fair. I had a lot of this artist's work. I worked really hard to get it out into the world. I printed materials, books, did all this stuff, and like really made big presentations, spent a lot of time and energy and money on it. And then not so long after that, I no longer had the artist's work anymore, and I didn't have a contract stating that, well, because I put all this money, time, and energy into it, I get first refusal on pieces for six months, or I have yeah. 27 people who were interested at this work at this fair I was at. Um, I need time to follow up with those people before I don't have the work any longer. I mean, then a contract really would have been helpful. Though it's that complicated because, yeah. Though it's complicated because, also because part of me would have been like, well, I don't want, you know, right, right. you get into personal stuff, but the business side of it would have said a contract would have, I, I mean, I still regret that because yeah, it was a bad business move on my part to not have set that in place. Right. Cause it's advance. usually like a slow burn, right? Like I mm-hmm. happen to be very close with one of your artists and acquisitions well multiple artists so they won't know which one I'm talking about but whatever um but it it (laughs) takes a a long time for a piece to get acquired by a museum like so what if like take years and so one of those pieces like you know and maybe that first glimmer of like interest is sparked by one of your shows or your connection and three years later it finally happens but like how do you follow up and say well Well, I was the, the cog that made it happen yeah. Well, it's complicated. So you can't say, oh, look, my best relationships and the, the most, mm-hmm. the most pr- profitable and strongest relationships from what I can mm-hmm. have gathered are the ones where the art, I mean, this is not going to be the case for everybody because I don't yeah. want this relationship with everyone and they don't want it with me and people work with other people. But it's when I work directly with the artist um, on pretty much everything. Well, we're going to keep yeah. using Melanie as an example because I already brought her up. So if yeah. if if the Museum of Modern Art comes to Melanie and says, we want a piece of your work, and they went directly to her because they can find her because she's living, they can find her email address. So a lot of this stuff is easier than it used to be. And the Museum mm-hmm. of Modern Art, you know, messages her on Instagram, sends her a thing on Facebook, sends her a separate email. Now, it behooves, now Melanie could be like, sweet, like I'm going to sell them a piece I'm going to get, I want my $2, you know, now, Melanie, I'm saying this. So Mel, when this happens, you make sure to call me, but, um, (laughs) Melanie's (laughs) would probably call me up or shoot. Well, she'd freak out and text me, but she'd also call me up and say like, here's what happened. Like, like what's available. What are our prices again? Like, how do we want to, and then I deal with the whole thing. I write the person back, I CC her. I deal with the whole, whole thing of it. Um, now, that's because I continually work with her. Now, if Melanie and I broke up and then <laughs> two years later that happened, I mean, I can't do you anything about it. I mean, you know, it's interesting how you do think about it in like short and long term relationships and like how intimate you are with your clientele. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's all different and levels. And look, I also have artists where I've sold, I mean, I have artists where I've sold, um, they're new to the gallery and I've been able to sell a piece to a museum relatively quickly or a big piece to a client. And even though maybe I didn't earn, you know, it's how do you quantify that earning? So did I earn 50% mm -hmm. of that? Um, no, that artist, like, you know, they have a whole career ahead of them. I mean, a whole yeah. career behind them that brought them to that place. But yeah. in respect of the relationship that I now have with them, and if they want me to work on their behalf, it behooves them to give me that money. Because mm -hmm. if they don't, I can't work with them. So it's almost yeah. like you're buying into the future. It depends on what point you meet people in different parts of their, their, um, their careers. So someone like Melanie, I've yeah. worked with since the beginning. I'm just poor Melanie. We keep using her as an example, but um, yeah. I've worked with her since the very beginning. Then there's other artists that I've picked up when they're 60 years old, right? Yeah. Now I'm 45. The chances are I'm going to be doing this oh, for a long time, and so <laughs> I really often see it as as that. Especially if it's a if it's an artist who's older, I imagine that I'm not just responsible for selling their work and getting out there, but in the back of my head, I'm like, well. I'm responsible for the posterity of their work, for looking at their archives, for starting to think about, well, what do we do with their work when they're 80 years old and they may or may not be making that kind of work anymore. I mean, artists rarely stop making, but that's not what yeah. they might be doing anymore. Um, or they're no longer living or, you know, I don't know. So I try to think of it as like a very much a, I take this job very seriously, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but, and I'm, you know, and I'm sure I try you don't to think like of it as like a, and... Oh, go. No, I mean, I just, and that goes back to the Leo Castelli thing or the Mary Boone, like that's how fine art galleries work. Why wouldn't a gallery yeah. that shows jewelry work like that? So when I say that I'm a mm -hmm. gallery, it means that I yeah. treat my relationships with my artists with a very traditional artist gallery relationship. Yeah. Um, and that's why I tend to like doing solo exhibitions. I don't mm -hmm. like to show a lot of people. I don't um, I need them to work for me as hard as I work for them and they should expect it, vice versa. Um, yeah. Also, there's sometimes people you love and work you love and you just can't sell it. And sometimes, I mean, it's really often you have to say, I think you need to show it somewhere else. And that sucks. Yeah. I, have lots of, I have lots of things like that that happen. I hate that. That's the worst. But what would it be better that the work just sits here and I can't do anything with it? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough love. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to like walk away from some people sometimes. That's I a also good think thing. sometimes artists need, yeah. I also think, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a tough one though, because things are also really, it's a huge amount of pressure when there's not a lot of galleries, there's not a huge marketplace. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If I was, if I close my doors tomorrow, I have a lot of artists who would be challenged to figure out like, what do you do next? You know, yeah. because I think that there's very few galleries out there and there are definitely some, there's really good galleries, but, um, yeah. people, especially in the, in working with craft, I think, um, it's hard to find people who gallerists, gallery models who take the work as seriously as the artists do. That being said, mm -hmm. maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe all that matters is that you have your work in a place. They don't break it. <laughs> and they can sell it for you. Maybe that's all that matters. No, I think there's more. And I want to believe that there's more to it than that. Well, I yeah. do too. Cause you, but yeah. <laughs> um, I have to ask the question, 
how do you pay yourself? So we talk a lot about how the artists get paid, but like, how do you make money? Well, I don't make, I mean, okay. So I think I I did write this to you and I saw some questions you had for me. Um, If I gave you the numbers to my entire business, which on one hand, I I almost thought like, no, but I almost, I almost, Sarah, I almost thought I'll just write it all down for you. So you see how it functions, but it, but perceived value would say that you actually, no one really should know how my business totally functions because mm-hmm. you should only ever believe that everything that comes through here, I sell. And for 10 times as much as anyone else sells it for. Right. I mean, this is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah. So I pay myself. Well, now I pay myself the same thing every month I take out. I base, you know, because and actually it's funny because I had to apply for the PPPs through the pandemic. And so to understand, oh, I had yeah. to go back and actually, cause I'm a DBA, same thing as you What's or a DBA? You know, anyone who's um, doing business as some Sienna Patty doing a business as Sienna oh, Patty, got basically it. self-employed yeah. as opposed to a corporation or, you know, I'm not incorporated. Um, so I could go bankrupt and, you know, someone could take my house basically is how that, how that works. It's fun stuff. Got it. Um, yeah. But um, I just, yeah, I mean, the, my family of four has lived off of the gallery over time mm-hmm. at different times. Um, yeah, I would say most of my, I would say the, just for, as a hint, I'd say the majority of my artists that make jewelry and then also teach make much mm-hmm. more money than, than I do. Okay. And then Leo, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And Leo has so always. So how does it work? had a job outside of the gallery? No. No, so he was in school for 6 years primarily. Wow. And then um and he's an illustrator, so he's currently working mm-hmm. on his first book, so we'll see. Yeah, so um see how that goes. Uh it's pretty incredible to see someone going through this process. I mean, to live with someone who's going through this process. Um but no, the gallery has like I said, it's and I have two children, so the, the gallery has yeah. supported us. I would say the majority of my, of my adult life, the gallery has supported my family. Yeah. Well, that in and of I itself is a, pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. that being said, I owe a lot of money. <laughs> so, oh. you, it's, right. So you can't, you know, you say you go to do an art fair, it costs $30,000 to do an art fair. You sell mm-hmm. $65,000 worth of work. Chances are I'm making 35, 40% of that. Right. Um, because yeah. I'm paying my artists off. Then what I have, so really every single fair, you don't make any money at. If you, mm-hmm. if you have to think of it, because you have to do a very high volume of what we're, of, of our world to funk of, of this marketplace to pay for a 30 or $40,000 booth. You have to sell a hundred thousand dollars worth, $150,000 worth of work to have it really make sense. And that's incredibly so, difficult to do. If everything yeah. you're selling is, 2,500, 5,000, 10,000 even. I mean, you just sell a lot of work. And so the, the advantage of doing those shows is mostly like exposure and finding new collectors to get spark their interest in jewelry. Like why do it? Yeah. Giving the artists the opportunity to have their work in different places. I mean, I did, there was never really jewelry at art fairs. And that was one of the things that I really wanted to do. And so I spent a ton of energy and money um, working on that over the years and yes, it's actually pretty incredible. It's also, it's almost like, this is my lab. 
you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. so if I put the jewelry in the art fair and I show it only on the wall, then do people want to buy it? Okay. So I put the jewelry mm. in the design fair and I show it on rustic tables. Does everyone want to buy it then? Like, how do you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, how does it, you know, what do you, how do you treat it in different environments? And I think it's much like problem solving. Again, it's like my lab. Do I have enough money to do that? I mean, no, 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 no. It's, it's a killer. No. Yeah. <laughs> But, but also, it. like, what would I do? I mean, what, yeah, aren't you supposed to just do keep trying things the best you can? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's some so, brilliant answer out there. I haven't quite found it yet. Oh, you're you're 20 plus years in, and you're still <laughs> see, guys, you just never figure it out. Keep going. Yeah. Um, during the insane. pandemic, how have you been? Did you get that PPE loan? So I got a, I got the PPP loan, which was um, basically pays for, yeah. So it pays for, I think initially it was like your payroll, two months of payroll times two and a half. So the idea would be, it would pay me, it would pay my, anyone who was working for me. And then um, for two months and then maybe like rent or something, you couldn't have it pay. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have it pay for anything else. Um, Yeah. So I did, but you know, it's pitifully small amount of money, right? Yeah. So the amount of money I pay myself, you know, when I, okay, yes, I steal toilet paper from the gallery sometimes, but besides that, the amount of money that's <laughs> actually coming out is relatively small. So when you, when I really had to sit down and do that, I was like, oh, you know, I really wish it was more because that, you know, I need, I needed it. I mean, it's yeah. not been great. I can't say it's great. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I got continued. the PPP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Oof. you have an employee. Is it Amelia Tolkien still? No, 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 no. Amelia is working. Uh, she's at SUNY New Paltz. So she hasn't been, oh. yeah, no, not for like a year. So That's I nice. have a woman who is fantastic, who does some photography for me and works on um, web stuff. But I mean, I don't know. Should I make it sound like there's a lot of people here? Sometimes I answer the phone and I'm like, oh, we're happy to help. As if like there's this like group of people behind me who are like, no, no, let me help them. <laughs> I struggle with that with the podcast because like there was this thing where it's like in the beginning you use that we or whatever, but like the podcast is just me. So they know if yeah. it's on social media or yeah. anything, it's just me doing that. So I felt yeah. kind of stupid about it and then stopped. Um, oh, look, this is just me doing this. I mean, yeah, it's really just me. I mean, I build my website. I put everything online. I take a lot of the pictures. I enter everything into artsy. I answer all the emails. I wrap all the stuff that comes out. So if you buy something and the wrapping is bad, you know, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> That's her. Um, That's her. <laughs> do you keep normal yeah. hours? Like how do you, with your two kids, I mean, they're teenagers, right? Now. Oh, so, I mean, so my daughter is going to be 17 in September and my son will be 13 in September. So very different now. I mean, I don't, this is probably another podcast about like parenting in the arts. Right. But yeah. um, I don't know how the hell it got, like, I can't even remember what it was like when they were young. It was horrible. Um, chaos. In terms of, yeah, just chaos. I mean, the gallery is still around. So it's, it's fine. Yeah. I got through it. When I was pregnant with my second child, I literally told no one initially because I was people, I found that people were, my artists definitely 
I think it's a natural feeling, but when I was going to have a child, it's like, oh, so, I mean, even in this day and age, so are you still going to queue the gallery? And I'm like, oh, uh, are you still going to do the gallery? Like, what will you do with the child? Once you have the baby, um, you know, all Mm -hmm. of this, all of this kind of stuff. So when I had my second one, I was like, I really want nothing to this, you know, I just don't want it to connect to my business at all. But because I didn't have a nanny. I mean, I didn't have people work. We we aren't, we weren't in that, we weren't financially capable of doing that. But it's also not, wasn't wasn't my personal interest to do that. Um, And my second child was, was not, um, 100% healthy. So that was also a complication. I mean, these things like life happens. Yeah. I mean, these things happen and I see it with my, with my artists through births and deaths and depression and just shitty times or really joyous times, but many things that take you in and out of your work. And especially with people that I've worked with for a long time. I mean, that's like a no brainer. It's easy to navigate that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, especially not- this past year, have you had a hard time mm-hmm. being like, okay, who wants to do a solo show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, everyone's been really into it. Really? <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I've had to like, I just kind of decided to do a whole bunch of different shows. Um, mm-hmm. I just opened Lola Brooks's exhibition on Friday. Um and mm-hmm. before that was Melanie Belanker, Christopher Thompson Royds. The next exhibition um, is David Shat, which I'm wicked excited about. So I actually have some of that. I mean, I'll show you because you can see. So let's see. Can you see? I have a David Shat in my bathroom, you guys. Oh, sweet. So I have one in front of my window. Oh, I got the boombox. The boombox. Boom yeah. And um, the table. Guys, we're referencing... Yeah. Oh, yep. I see his mom. The okay. So honestly, so much of that work was made while I was sitting next to him drinking cocktails and watching television. Because that is my favorite pastime to do with David is watch television and him be it and me drink. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Also this you probably recognize that. Oh, yes. Oh, I was so happy. So David, because he's a good friend of mine, I was like, I'm going to do a show in New York city. And will you be a part of it, please? Like pulling on those strings of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but you're my friend. So will you like do this with me to make me look better? And he's like, yeah. Which is exactly what you, you did that exactly right though. When you were asking about the gallery, like you just find everyone, you know, to fucking help you make it work. Right. Yeah. 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 And he he did this. Yeah. 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 And that piece is so heavy. I remember one of my cohorts was like, what the hell was just delivered to my house? Cause he had this like custom steel box made for this, <laughs> um, pendant that he had made. And it's like it's crazy expensive. And I remember handing it off to your then assistant, Amelia in New York city. And I was like, do you need me to help you carry it to the car? <laughs> it's, so ex- it's so heavy. I was really worried. I was going to have to ship that thing. So thank God. Yeah. I actually, out. it's, it's bolted to the wall. And also just to be clear, it just, for people who are listening, the box is what's heavy. The pieces are incredibly light because yeah, why would it, why would someone working in jewelry want to make my life easy? They, I mean, it's jewelry. <laughs> it can be light. It's easy to transport. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so that'll be my next exhibition after um, after Lola. So I'm very excited about that because it involves objects, sculpture, jewelry, a, a real nice mm-hmm. mix of things. And I think that that's a good, I think this is a good 
very much says where my head is right now and the kind of work that I'm engaged in and the kind of artists that I want to be working with. It'll be my first show yeah. with David. So, yeah. Um, cool. right now because of the pandemic, I mean, immediately when you said David, like I'm planning on flying out to Seattle for his birthday, we're both vaccinated and we've just nice. missed each other. Like I usually spend holidays with him. Um, mm -hmm. does that mean like, is Lola coming up to like, how does it work with galleries with no, there's no openings. There's no, yeah. Mm. I mean, somebody, my husband asked me if I was going to have any openings this summer. I mean, I have a, I'm going to have a fantastic Mallory Weston exhibition. I, I think I'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean the gallery won't be open. So last summer I was, I mean, last summer, fall, winter, first of all, horrible last spring, we weren't allowed to be open until the end of June here. Yeah. Um, so July and August, September, very busy in the fall very, mm -hmm. very slow in the summer. Um, but you know, it's fantastic. I have a large space. I have my doors open. People could wear masks. People were very diligent about wearing masks here. Um, I put up all my signage. I had processes of wiping everything down of everything. Once it was touched would go on this tray and sit there for three days. And like, I mean, it was like a lot yeah. to figure out. Now I realize because of what I've learned over the past couple of weeks, I actually have to change my signs to saying things like, even if you're vaccinated, please keep your mask on. Because I've had people come in here and say, um, oh, we're vac I'm vaccinated. I don't need to wear my mask. And I'm like, well, I'm not vaccinated. Plus now I feel weird because like I'm wearing yeah. a mask and you're not. And it starts to like change this, you know, it's just a whole other dynamic. So I don't, I don't yeah. know about all of that, but I'll be open. I mean, right now it's by appointment. And then, you know, yeah. some days I'm, I'm here all day, but I work full time, whether it's here or, or at home. I mean, I've been working from home quite a bit over the winter. So, um, it's just funny because I'll have clients who want to see something to scale and I might have some jewelry with me. And so I was just sending pictures this weekend. I'm like, I'm literally like out on my deck in my t-shirt, having just come back from the hardware store, pinning brooches on to my like gardening jumpsuit, like this one looks like, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, the nice thing about the pandemic is nobody's Everyone's like, cool. Nobody's really yeah. judging that. Because I've never been very informal. I like things yeah. to be very, I try to make it everything as tight as it can. So when I send out an email, if it's late, it's only because I, you know, rewrote everything and formatted it like 4,000 times before it went out. Very, mm -hmm. the nature of having a gallery in a, not in New York and not in a place where people are going to come all the time is that, Everything I've always felt, whether it's printed material, you know, I've made tons of books for my artists, everything that goes out of here has to be consistent and has to look really good. Um, and it has to look very professional because I'm a gallery in a small town in the middle of nowhere it would be at least certainly when I opened, it's, it's less that, that way now. But um, that pre my parents really taught me that, you know, my mom was like, you know, park your car behind the building. No one needs to know. I drive a shitty car, you know, yeah. was, I remember her saying that to me when I first, that first summer, you know, because the desire to be, to, to want to feel fancy or to be a, an heiress with a gallery. I mean, there was like, I, mm -hmm. if everyone knew it's like the, whatever, when you think, what is it? Po something syndrome, like imposter syndrome imposter or something. Syndrome. Yeah. If everyone knew that I was just me, well, then would they listen to anything I said. I mean, not to get into all of yeah. that, but 
No, but I mean, I even think about that. I mean, I was intimidated to ask you for an interview because I do feel like in the vein of your work and what you do, the mystery is a part of it. Yeah. So I'm really thankful that you even came on here because I just wanted to give insight to how you make that happen. Yeah. So it's a Subaru Outback. No. Oh man. Subarus (laughs) are expensive though. Like I wanted one, even a freaking like used one with a hundred thousand miles. They were still wanting like $16,000 for it. Yeah. So, so this is the best fanciest car I've ever had. Um, I got it when it had (laughs) 45,000 miles on it, which is really low. Yeah. It has a roof thing. Um, I want a roof top. But just to put it in perspective, I, um, it's not, I didn't just get it. And now it has 140,000 miles and I will drive that shit until it dies in the yard. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the time it was a, it was a Mercury Topaz. What That's is, what I was I driving when I first. Yeah, exactly. So it was what I was driving when I first opened the gallery. And my son the other day said, we saw some kid we knew because my daughter's going to get her license soon. He saw a kid driving a city. He's like, is that the car you have to get when you first get your license, mama? And it was like a, you know, like a beat up sedan because literally that's what everyone has as their first car. If yeah. you, if you're lucky enough to have a car. Yeah. You don't get like mm-hmm. some cool, you don't, well, I mean, not in my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get like a yeah. $900 rusted out shitty sedan. Yeah. <laughs> I went with a, uh, a Chevy HHR, which is not to be confused with a PT Cruiser. They might look somewhat characteristically alike, but not really. Oh, that's so funny. Right. I get so pissed when someone thinks I drive a PT Cruiser. I don't know. I just hate those cars. I don't know. They're PT tacky. Cruisers. Yeah, there's one down the street from me. Yeah, I don't know. We're my, I mean, we have a 2004, uh, 2005 Forester that I really think soon we can put our feet through the bottom of the floor and like pick it up and run. (laughs) (laughs) Flintstone style. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I guess my point is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I have clients I've had since the day I opened, they know who I am. They've seen me pregnant. (laughs) I mean, they've seen me cry. They've seen, they've met my artists. They've, I've seen them through births and deaths and, you know, good days and bad days. And now I see people with, you know, roots, five inch long roots coming into the gallery who are saying like, I've been in my house for eight months and I feel comfortable here, which is fantastic. Like it's a very clean space. It's again, I can keep the doors open. I just opened the doors again the other day and I was like, Oh, right. Summer's coming. You know, it's a a really nice feeling, but I think I've created um, also from being in the space for so long, like a, I don't mean like a safe space, but certainly a place where clients can come in and feel really comfortable. People can come in, artists, collectors, you know, humans can come in and look around and engage with the work and with me or whoever's working and look at books and experience. That's why I think it's nice to have a space as opposed to being, you know, again, sitting at my kitchen table all the time is it's, it's not the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. There is something about, you know, when I travel certain places, there's certain shops I always go to and you like that, that familiarity and yeah, it's important. So I'm sure like in this space that sounds like a lot of tourism and people come back annually, the fact that you're there, you're something that reminds them of that experience and they come in and. Oh, I have people who come. I mean, it's funny. I have a, I can, like, I 
they'll say, oh, I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, oh yeah, no, you have those Bibishitz clips that you got with those little things. How are those? Like, that's how I remember is what people's jewelry is. But I have people mm-hmm. who come every every year for 15 years and they're like, oh, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't, you know, it, so it is like a vacation feeling. That is a little yeah. bit of what this area has. But, you know, it's interesting during the pandemic, some of those people have reached out to me, bought things online. I've done little Zoom chats where I try on necklaces and and sell things that way, or even just connect. Sometimes not sell anything, but just connect with clients that need connecting either because they want to reach out and have a conversation about art. And that's what I've been for them or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's creating a, a, uh, I mean, a uh, community. And I've had, you know, that goes back to, I've had people who, um, their first experience with seeing anything jewelry like this at all would be coming in here. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's funny over years, you, you know, you kind of like try to finally they'll like buy a little something. And it's usually the most traditional. And then if you can kind of build them up, then I had a, client they start very very traditional when they first like kind of were looking at things and then they literally bought a necklace made of wallpaper years later and I was like I won you know yeah (laughs) you know goes back to that like they're buying this ephemeral thing that's literally you know not gonna make it and they would never have done that so it's also it's often you know you have to make sure I think a gallery you want to work with a gallery that's educating with people or there's no sustained there's there's no sustained engagement yeah, you um, cultivate the next kind of collectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sienna, I could talk to you forever. This is fun. <laughs> I feel like there's but stuff it's... maybe I don't know. What, what do people want to know about a gallery? Like, I don't know. Should we do like a bonus episode where I let people send in questions and then you and I answer whatever questions you feel comfortable answering? Mm. Sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. I think, you know, the thing is people's questions are often the same, which is like, how do you get into a gallery? What does a gallery want to see? And I always find those to be strange questions because you could literally like look them up. Um, Yeah. But I'll maybe we'll challenge listeners. Ask some, ask some different questions. Like (laughs) ask, I have Sienna, what do you do on your days off? What are your hobbies? Oh yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could do those kind of things. Um, I did just start a grow room in my basement for tomato plants, just to be clear. And microgreens. And no, really, my son, his friend came over the other day and I heard him go, oh, come on down here. My mom's growing cannabis. And I was like, dude, I am not growing cannabis in the basement. I mean, we're in Massachusetts. And I'm like, how is my 12-year-old telling his friend this? Like, you think it's hilarious. Is Um, it legal up there? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yes, it is. Oh, but okay. It's so legal that for so long now that like I don't even have to. I mean, why would I do that? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm growing. Micro- like, I'm actually growing other people. Yeah, there's other people who do it better. I'm growing pea shoots. Actually, that's been my. I'm like learning how to do like microgreens. So lame. Mm-hmm. So lame. Um, I actually had this idea that one day I was gonna. A friend of mine who's a orthopedic PA. You know, we we talk about client, not clients in the sense of like specificity, specificity, but. Um, a couple of years ago, I had this idea that we should start like a, to make extra money, a business where for like, you pay like 50 bucks for 30 minutes or a hundred bucks for 30 minutes. And we tell mm-hmm. you what we actually thought. Like, 
the oh. unbridled truth. Like, do you want to know? I mean, and with the own, with, with the, so the rules kind of that, like, I might be wrong and I'm yeah. not the only person who has opinions and you are yeah. not allowed to make this change your life. But like, do you want to know what I really think? But actually that everybody thought sounds... it was a bad idea. Oh, Horrible really? Cause I immediately was like, oh, <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody ever really does that, but like, you know, what do I really think? Like, you know, if you had an artist come to you with their work, you, yeah. Oh, you want to know what I really think? No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. So. Oh, I love that. Love that business venture. You have to pay me more than a hundred um, bucks, but yeah. <laughs> I want to do this question thing too. Also just real quick and add in a few things. Uh, Sienna has the most magical hair. Um, we're kind of kindred. Similar hair. Spirits with similar hair. Mm-hmm. Love your hair. Um, I think you're winning the also, hair. Yeah. You got that good gray streak. That's natural, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would not like, just put that in there. Just to be clear, I have two of them right there. Yeah, I know. I get a lot of people ask me, "Is like, are those natural?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, they are. Earned every single one of them. You're welcome." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, I thought at some point this would naturally come up, but like, do you remember the first time you met me? Oh shit! Um, is this a question you ask everyone? No, but I wanted Wait. to ask you because it was kind of like funny for me. Wait. Oh no. Well, what, it wasn't when I was sitting on the floor next to you. No, but guys, God, let me tell you, I mean, <laughs> I have gotten, I've gotten to know you. And, but as somebody, I think about it, it as like the rock star thing, you know, like the first time I meet Kim Gordon, I'm probably going to just be like choked up and not know what to do. And you, you elevate these people in your world. Right. And so for me, like you were super, you're still elevated girl, but so funny, you know, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. It's a weird thing, but it it happens. Did you think I was going to be like a little mean too? Cause I try to generate, like I'm a little mean, but. Oh, you scared the shit out of me the first time I met you and like, were not nice. And I was like, okay. What did I do? Was I at a fair or something? Uh, okay. I'll just tell you, cause you obviously don't know. Um, it was repair days in Memphis and I, Oh my God. I mean, I remember repair days in Memphis, but I don't, I don't know if, Oh, I don't remember. You met me. Girl, you (laughs) met me. Um, and I was just like a little jewelry babe. Yeah. And it was my first time ever going to something like that. And I was really overwhelmed. So Jeffrey Clancy, who I met at Penland took me took me away from it all. Cause I was overwhelmed and we had a day drink and I remember he took a selfie of us and then he was like texting with somebody and he's like, Oh, we have to go back to the museum to meet up with Sienna and Lola. And I was like, I remember sorry. that come again. Cause I was like kind of day drunk. And I was like, who did you just send that picture to? And he's like, Oh, Lola Brooks. She's with Santa Patty. And like, I, I died like, at the bar. I, was like I can't go back with you. I need to sober up, get me a coffee. And then as we walk up to the museum, you guys were walking in too. And I remember you had a Myra necklace on, um, cause she was the master metalsmith. I think I totally yeah. remember all, I remember talking to Jeff Clancy outside that building. Yeah, oh I God. was right and next to him, and I'm the were, one that you, you didn't acknowledge. <laughs> oh, you know why? Probably because I, I mean, yeah, I was, I, just, I get I that. Yeah. Oh my God, like I else. love it. And I was like, hi, it's really nice to meet you. And then I was trying to make small talk and like join the conversation instead of standing was... there awkwardly. And I was like, <laughs> is that a Myra necklace? And you're like, yeah. I was like, oh, oh my God, no, that's just because I'm awkward. 
Yeah, but I love it. I mean, I would prefer that everyone thought my nerdy awkwardness was, yeah, meanness. It sounds so much better. Yeah, so, it worked. So, so I might not remember that because, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so after that, uh, so what happened was I was, I met Lola down there. We went to that, um, that fantastic show of Myra's. And then um, I was going down to University of Georgia, Athens to talk to the students there with Mary Purse mm-hmm. and to spend a couple of days and hang out with Lola. So I probably, I have to have a picture of literally that same day, Sarah. So I took the money that I made from speaking mm-hmm. because it's never, it's never a lot of money. And I no. also don't get to go a, away a lot. And after that, I was going to the universe to Rick, to, um, S- to, to Susie Gaunch to talk to her kids. And so it was kind of like a big road trip for me. So Lola and I, um, I rented a, um, what do you call them? Um, you rented a convertible. A, I stalked you guys. I know exactly what you're talking about. Not a Jaguar. It was a, what's the other one? A Mustang. Like a, oh, <laughs> we yeah. rented a Mustang and we drove from Memphis down to Athens in like a day cycle. And we um, went to all of the stops along the way that were in my Roadside America uh, app. Mm-hmm. We had the best time. I saw cotton in a field for the first time in nice. my life. Um, we went to the this place called the Ave Maria Grotto, which is a quarter mile grotto built by a hunchback Benedictine monk in the 1940s. Two scale, no, not two scale, but versions of um, architectural monuments, including like Never Neverland, the Eiffel Tower. So fictional and non-fictional architectural monuments that stretch this quarter of a mile below this Benedictine monastery. We get there 45 minutes before they close. And of course, Lola and I, we, we, the worst part is they have this incredible religious gift shop with like beaded popes. I mean, like you, Lola and I were like out of our minds and we didn't have any cash. We had $11. We had scrounged up in cash on the floor that we had just like dumped on the floor of the car. And we only each were able to get a few things, but I did leave with a postcard of a, of the hunchback monk um so yeah that's amazing what state is that in i want to go there it's somewhere in in georgia i'll have to find it but this just goes this is what jewelry can buy you basically is uh you can get to the level after 20 years that i've gotten to make enough money to rent a moderately okay um car Mm -hmm. and then blow all your money on a bunch of uh shitty religious merchandise at a a monastery So anyway, I didn't mean to be mean to you. I did not be mean. I did not mean to be. I didn't take it like that. I was just like super intimidated. But you know, the the best part is that the next time I saw you in person, I just was set up trying to record live at New York City Jewelry headquarters. They'd given me this table. I'm getting set up. I'm nervous. It's a cool experience. And then I look down. I just see the top of the head of some woman who's like (laughs) rummaging around next to me. And I was like, "What the (laughs) hell is that?" And it looks up and it's Sienna Patty. And I was like, well, this is a different way to meet again. <laughs> I was sitting on the floor. I was, I was organizing Amelia's postcards for her for like five hours. Yeah. Listening to you, yeah. to your, your shtick. So yeah. And then I remember I was super thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Cause I was super nervous that day and like, hadn't prepared myself in any way. <laughs> and you're like, here, have this to drink. And I was like, thank you. See again, I was tuning your guitar. You were tuning my guitar. God damn. You're so good. 
There you you're go. on. You're always on. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Let's, we got to wrap it up. But yeah, you let me know if there's ever anything else. And I feel like I missed a million things about a gallery. So I'm sure there's, if there's anyone out there who wants to open a gallery, there is no book. That's, that's the lesson that I learned. (laughs) There, there is no book. And this interview is not about that. It's about you. I wanted to know more about you. And I feel like I learned a lot. Okay, good. Sweet. And next time I'll try to be as nice as possible, I guess. And we'll go from there. Uh, Never change. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists and gallerists and anybody else trying to make a little something off of their creativity. Until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron visit patreon.com slash value to learn more or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.